Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber. Brought to you by Pixel Cut Labs. All right, welcome to another episode of Search Talk Live. I am with Matt Weber of Roar Marketing in Orlando, Florida. How's it going? Hey, Robert, we are practicing proper social distance. Uh, For the first time in a long time, you and I are not together doing the show. No, no. So we're uh, keeping our distance. But you're still properly attired, I assume? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Suit, tie. <laughs> <laughs> Got your Search Talk Live golf shirt on. How'd you know that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I hope everybody that is listening is is staying away from this coronavirus, keeping healthy, social distancing as you're supposed to do. Just uh, stay away from it. It's, it's bad, bad stuff. We don't want it. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the potential to get worse. And I think that we're in an industry that can really uh, play a big role for helping people. Because what are people doing right now, Robert? Man, they're looking for information. Everybody wants to know the latest. Everybody wants to know the difference between fact and fiction. And where do they go to get it? They go to search. So yeah. SEOs. Your time is now. Well, today I'm excited. We have a uh, alumni of Search to Talk Live. Uh, our guest today is Garrett Morguth. Garrett, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for uh, having me, Matt, Robert. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah, excited to chat with you all. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. So my name's uh, Garrett Morguth. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of Directive. Uh, we do performance marketing, SEO, and PPC. Uh, for software companies. We also have some cool products, most notably Institute, teaches you how to do SEO and PPC like we do for some awesome mid-market enterprise companies. It's only $39 a month. But yeah, most of the time I'm just trying to relearn things and uh, get a little better every day. So just glad to be here with you guys. Nice. Um, Matt, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I think we got to start the show about uh, talking about how is Corona affecting SEOs and businesses in, in general. And as I look online, I notice that a lot of folks are kind of scrambling to find out, you know, what are the Corona or COVID related keywords that are related to their business? I was looking at a forum today and a guy is thinking about writing content on how can I buy a car and be safe from Corona? So everybody's looking for that Corona angle, that COVID angle. Garrett, what's your thought on that? Do you think enough volume exists on those phrases? And is that overall a wise strategy right now? Yeah, so I mean, great question. I think a lot of times as marketers, uh, this idea that uh, we need to get on board with a trend or a direction, or in this case, a global pandemic, um, can be misleading. It can sometimes take you away from your core strategy. I think my encouragement would have been to use the last couple of weeks where it was all crazy and everything else to take a deep breath and really get your Q2 planned out. Make sure you have your objectives, your key results, and you really have a great strategy in place. So, I mean, for me, I think there's certain channels that I think need to be empathetic and sympathetic to what's going on globally. uh, And there might be some leverage there. I don't see as much leverage, even at the kind of multi-location national level for, let's say, your Buick or your GMC or your Ford. And you notice that you're, you know, your uh, sales are down at your dealerships. And so you go to your content team, your organic or your SEO team, and you say, hey, guys and gals, we want to you know, launch these keywords. I don't think you're 
keywords are going to overcome social reality. And all of a sudden people are like, yes, you know what? It does feel good to be outside <laughs> right now around people. Uh, I would say stay the course on your core strategy because what you should be more re- worried about is less about the coronavirus and more about what could happen economically post virus and, and that you have a strategy in place to acquire users at a low cost per acquisition. So you have some flexibility on pricing. Uh, and so I would be thinking, how can I go deeper in my content strategy so that I have that acquisition channel firing in Q3, uh, let's say post COVID-19, where then you're you're exposing yourself to a lower cost per acquisition channel uh, and you can get away from some of your paid initiatives where we're definitely, you know, for ourselves uh, seeing a decrease in demand. And so I do think, you know, focusing into the, your core content is probably more important than your Corona content right now. Interesting. You know, we're all being told as you get more time on your hands, it's a great time to read a book or organize your closets. Let's look at this from a business owner standpoint. What can a business owner be doing in this kind of downtime if there is some to come out of this stronger, like you said, in Q3? Yeah, I mean, right now I've, I've been going stir crazy like everybody else. So um, I'm doing a couple of things myself. Maybe that could help somebody. I'm uh, I'm kind of thinking so. You know, Directive works primarily with SaaS, like that is our positioning. And so I'm using mention.com to track anytime someone mentions demand gen, SaaS marketing, SEO for software, SEO for SaaS, PPC, any of kind of those brand terms. I'm doing trying to do a good job of engaging in communities is one thing I'm doing on the thought leadership side. I'm also trying to, you know, share one insightful piece of content uh, natively to social not in a blog format, but just in a native social, whether it's a thread or a LinkedIn post. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing on the content marketing side as a thought leader just for the organization. And then on the learning time, uh, I'm actually trying to teach myself mergers and acquisitions right now, um, just because I think this is also, if you do have cash on hand, a potentially opportunistic time uh, to do strategic maybe acquisitions if agencies are going under uh, and you can throw a lifeline. Um, so I'm kind of learning that space a little bit. And then I'm redoing kind of the management structure here at Directive, uh, taking us more into a quarterly model, getting rid of a lot of the weekly updates, um, a lot of kind of the weekly sprints and getting better at planning strategy and trust. And then, you know, using those shared objectives for accountability instead of, you know, weekly sprints where I think it's great to get started, but it really dampens your ability to come up with material impactful changes to your organization if you can't think across a longer period of time you know we're about six years in now and so the small things the quick wins are a lot less and the big wins you know are a lot harder to get done so that's kind of what i'm focused on that's really good stuff you know we talk about content and robert we've talked about this in past shows what really prevents even at the agency level for businesses you know for producing that driving content that will bring them value. And I think we've discovered through past guests, really a lot of folks just don't have the wherewithal to create the plan. You know, it's not that they don't have the industry expertise or the subject matter expertise to create the content, but no one's laid out for them. Here's topic one, here's topic two, here's topic three. Garrett, what do you, what can you recommend to small business owners to get that plan in place during this time so that they can step up and hit that content when the time is right? Okay, so I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Um, (laughs) It's grit. It has nothing to do with planning. It has nothing to do with their awareness. It has everything to do with desire. Creating content 
is brutally hard. Okay. There is no barrier to entry to it. The, the reason that certain people have audiences, and that's not me, I don't have an audience. The reason I don't have an audience isn't because I don't have something meaningful to say or that I don't create content. So think about it this way. Last year, I spoke at almost 30 events, published countless articles, and was on probably over 50 podcasts. Okay. So I think that's the hustle side, right? I still don't have an audience. I can tweet something and get only a couple to retweets, couple likes. You know why? I didn't make it a priority. I didn't comment, engage, and bust my ass to actually positively, proactively contribute information consistently around a theme. And the truth is if you don't do that, and you can still speak at 30 events, write as many books as you want, and do anything else, but if you are not hustling and grinding it out and make it a commitment in your entire life, you probably won't get an audience. It's just that convoluted and noisy right now it, it point where you can kind of just strategize something do a couple topics and see success like you have to be fully committed to it and it is brutally hard but yeah that's my feedback because as a guy who's trying to do it and got his ass kicked for six years at it i'll tell you it's <laughs> not like you could just do a couple pieces i mean i spoke as much as you could possibly speak and still wasn't able to you know necessarily pull it off it, it's not that easy i think it's one of those areas where you'll make more progress with 90% forward mo motion and 70% accuracy than you would with 90% accuracy and 70% forward motion. You just gotta keep going. My thing is I've never been consistent enough for a long enough period of time. Like you have to take, like if your threshold for content quality is zero to 10, in my opinion, if you wanna get an audience, you have to consistently create content that's seven or greater, and then you have to consistently comment contribute, engage, and promote yourself into your audience at the same time. So you're consistently creating content, engaging with users proactively, not people who are engaging with you, but people that you're trying to bring into your conversation. So actively outbound social, like you have to be doing outbound social if you really want to build an audience um, right now, or you get lucky, but I've never got lucky. So I'm more <laughs> of the belief that you got to kind of hustle it. To agree with you there. I, um, I did a few engagements and after talking to a lot of the speakers and stuff, they did the basically the same thing as you did. You're, you know, they're just beating the wall trying to, to get out there and get their name, writing books. And I mean, it's, it's a life commitment, like you said. Yeah. And a lot of them still don't get the audience. I think the hardest yeah. part is there's this difference between creating content and building an audience. And that's why I'm finally, after six years of guest posting and hustling, I'm starting to finally understand is how do I build an audience and a community not how do I create content? Because I think the biggest gap uh, around the ones who see success is they have an audience, they have an email list, they have this natural starting point for anything that they create that then sees success from there. Uh, and that's something I'm having to build now. And Garrett, kind of share with our listeners what steps that you've been doing that you've changed to build that audience. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not great at it yet. So take this from somebody who's in the trenches. <laughs> and still getting their butt kicked. Um, but I think it goes even into business strategy. So let me kind of walk you through the history of directive and then how it kind of ties back to this and where I'm finally starting to like, I don't know, humbly catch on to it. Um, so right, I started directive uh, with my best friend. I was on Fiverr at first selling social media calendars for like five bucks, I had like 20 bucks to my name. Um, and we were hustling, a bunch of small businesses then we got, you know, from the small businesses, we had most of our portfolio was local. 
And so we decided to brand ourselves and position ourselves as an agency into local. Uh, did that for a while, got Allstate as a client, still have them today, got some other large brands um, and did well. And then, you know, we realized, hey, it's not that easy to go get a bunch of multi-location, large local accounts. And we accidentally had a couple B2B accounts. Um, they were all software. We didn't totally connect those dots. Um, and so we just said, okay, you know, we're not going to be anything for a while. We were kind of tired of local trying to figure it out. Then we kind of realized the B2B, we fell into it. So we became a B2B agency. Did that for a couple of years, kind of got bored of it, said, okay, why don't we go after these big brands, you know, Nike, Adidas, uh, just more like household name brands. You know, we thought, we thought we had the expertise and the talent to do so. So we kind of pivoted from B2B into enterprise. Uh, and the problem with that, right, is there's no explicit positioning to that. And so then, you know, about two months ago, I got some sense knocked into me, swallowed some of my craziness and my pride and said, hey, when I look at my portfolio, you know, 90% of it does software. And we're really good at software. They pay us the most and they stay the longest and we get the most results for them. We should just say that we do performance marketing for software companies. Great. Now, the reason I wanted to walk through that whole thing is because simultaneously, I was trying to build my personal brand, but without any theme. In other words, I was just a guy who was good at search marketing, who was talking about search marketing. But if you've ever noticed and kind of been on SEO Twitter, you'll find very quickly certain people, let's say, become the Python guy and they build an audience because they're the Python guy. Another person builds an audience because she's the link building gal. Another person builds an audience because they're the technical person. Another person builds an audience, but their audiences are traditionally associated with a theme that they've been consistently contributing deep expertise to for an extended period of time. And so that also, I think, got to me where I said, okay, cool. Well, my agency does SaaS. Most of my expertise is around SaaS. I have some of my own SaaS products. Cool. I can make my content then to my audience, align that obviously with our services, and then have fun with it. And so now really all my tweets and all of my LinkedIn and all my content is really tailored around what in-house SaaS marketers can do. And now I'm actually starting to see the most success I've ever had in my life with creating content and getting engagement. Uh, and it's fun. It's actually, it's amazing. Like the dopamine from someone actually giving you a damn retweet is pretty powerful. <laughs> and so it helps you keep going, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at, but definitely getting that theme is a great starting point. So choosing what you... And it doesn't have to be limiting. You know, I don't think that SaaS is limiting. I can talk about anything within that, and I can still talk about whatever I want, but having a core theme is critical, I think. Yeah, it's better to be deep than wide. <laughs> yeah, I've always said depth of consulting is more powerful than breadth of consulting, and that's why we only did search marketing, but you, you have to go beyond just that. It's crazy. I think so many of us are scared to niche, yet, you know, software is a billion-dollar industry. I mean, who are we kidding? It's not really that small, right? So... It, I think you just need to sometimes take some humility and say it's okay that maybe we're not as special as we think and we're going to stay in this you know part of the world for a while, build up a great EBITDA, have some great margins, and then if we want to grow, maybe we go acquire an e-commerce agency or you acquire a direct-to-consumer agency because when you get to a certain size, it's not that easy to just launch a new department uh, and see success. Sometimes it makes more sense to essentially acquire that expertise uh, and grow that way. Yeah, especially if you've got systems, like it sounds like you do, your systems and processes extrapolated to another company will bring value to the other company. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if we acquire somebody who has e-com, we don't have to crack the code on how – like we aren't experienced in Amazon. So I don't know how you're going to offer a world-class e-commerce deliverable if you don't know how to run Amazon ads. And we're not you know, world-class at shopping feeds. Now, when it comes to lead generation and how to get demos, I'd say we're probably in the 1%. So anytime you try to get outside of that sweet spot where you can get results – and you're in the agency world, you know, the biggest issue for you is retention. You make your money from keeping your accounts, not getting new ones. And so when you start to expand service lines or expand into new verticals, you have a direct negative correlation a lot of times on retention. That makes sense. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about metrics then, because I think we've established that for the average business owner listening to the podcast, content is a long road straight uphill. But maybe we can do help them with a little bit about metrics, and I know that's something you're also passionate about, making sure people are looking at the right data to make the best decisions. What's your thought on how business owners can improve the quality of the data that they look at during this downtime that they may have? Yeah, um, I love that question. So let me just kind of think about it for a millisecond. Um, I think one of the best things you can do right now, if you haven't done it, is start to think about what you're going to do for customer marketing. Um, and then, like for us, our I think our biggest kind of jump in growth came from when we decided to dedicate a full-time account executive to upselling and cross-selling and renewing our clients. Um, so if you've never done that and you're listening, you know, you're in a sales position or you're an owner of a business or an agency, uh, I'd highly recommend dedicating someone full-time to customer sales. Uh, it's a really, really special way for you to grow, especially during like a global ep epidemic like this where, you know, acquisitions down and your CPA is going to skyrocket if you're trying to essentially maintain your current levels of opportunities or deals. Uh, and, and I think you're, you're more financially like for us, we've been able to add more net income by focusing on, you know, customer sales than on new business, uh, just because close rates almost double for us uh, on that referrals are, are obviously great for that. Um, and so, yeah, definitely. I think one of the metrics to focus on is how much, you know, we track two kind of revenue things, new business revenue and then portfolio revenue. Um, so starting to track portfolio revenue and dedicating someone to that is probably the most valuable thing you can do as an agency owner uh, to grow. We're going to take a break. And coming up, we're going to ask Garrett who influences him in the, in the segment called Influencing the Influencers, brought to you by Directive. Hey, Brennan here, founder of the U.S. Search Award-winning SEO agency, Pixel Cut Labs. We're launching a new video series, and we're inviting the Search Talk Live family to get involved. So here's the deal. I'm opening up a group of one-on-one -on -one consulting sessions to fix your SEO roadblocks. If you're okay with us publishing a recording of the call on our website to promote our expertise, the consulting session is on me. If you're facing a crawl issue, struggling with creating effective content, or just need some help identifying the right keywords to target, go ahead and take the next two minutes. Visit bit.ly slash SEO call. There's no spaces, no capitals, no hyphens. Bit.ly slash SEO call. And tell me what you need help with. If I think I can help, I'll send over a few times for our consulting call, and you can choose what works for you. So again, the link is bit.ly slash SEO call, no spaces, no hyphens, all lowercase, and it will take about two minutes to fill out. I'll bring everything to the table to help you break through the barriers you're facing, as long as we can use the recording of our call to promote our knowledge. Looking forward to hearing from you. 
Directive is an industry-leading search marketing agency fully focused on helping B2B marketing teams increase their results. If you're looking to increase your marketing qualified leads and decrease your cost per acquisition for search engines, I'd highly recommend you take a look at their site. We've actually had their CEO, Garrett Marguth, on the show, and I can honestly say these guys are doing some great stuff. I hear that they even have their own analytics system that lets you correlate your SEO, PPC, or content efforts directly to revenue. If you're a B2B company and thinking about switching agencies, or if you're in-house and need help, I'd give Directive a look. Visit directiveconsulting.com or call 949-214-4024. Again, that's 949-214-4024. Again, that's directive at directiveconsulting.com. Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy until now. Smilelytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilelytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show. All right. So we're back Garrett. Uh, let's, let's hear it. Who influences you, my friend? So did I just sponsor my own influencer section? You did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hey, for anyone out there in software and you need an agency, we'd love to help you. I'll do my own plugs on the podcast. I, sponsor. I love that. Uh, so, Hey, thanks guys. By the way, I do really appreciate it. You guys have been awesome source. Um, anybody looking for new acquisition channels, uh, sponsoring podcasts has been great for us, but you know, who influences me? Uh, a lot of the time I'm trying to get my source of kind of information and my pulse from the in-house marketer mm-hmm. and doing a better job of following them. I think one of the funniest parts about you know, SEO and PPC Twitter is that we all know each other, but we're all at the agency side and none of us make money on each other. So we like <laughs> spend all our time. We get our affirmation. We get our like kudos as a professional from people who could never pay us. Um, and I've tried to move away from that. So a lot of that is, is now following them. And then other like, like I love the content profit well puts out. Um, I'm a big fan. I actually love D2C Twitter. I know nothing about direct-to-consumer marketing as an expert, uh, but I find it really engaging. And so I follow a lot of direct-to-consumer people. Um, they're better at social. And that's one of the things I'm trying to get better at is taking the learnings from kind of direct-to-consumer social yeah. advertising and asking myself, how can B2B brands do that different, right? So like one of the trends I keep hearing in D2C 
is that user generated content like videos mm-hmm. of like people on their iPhone outperforms like professionally like video agency videos. So it made me think, you know, all these SaaS companies have these demos that are all really well done and animation and motion graphics. And I was thinking, you know, could B2B SaaS companies or even B2C SaaS companies do a better job of like user generated content for their demo videos and things like that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my influence right now is trying to like take the smartest people in consumer marketing and then apply their learnings into B2B to get an edge. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's really great. It's fantastic. And by the way, that is influencing the influ- influencers brought to you by directive at directiveconsulting.com. <laughs> Thank you guys. You know, that's a, a great um, point, but I think what businesses are challenged with and let us know if you've cracked this code is how do you make these user generated content either accessible without, do you solicit it? Do you compensate for it? How do you go out and get that user generated content if you're not in a channel or a, a line of work where people spontaneously do that? Okay, so here's what we do, uh, and hopefully this can help somebody. Um, we have a series called Marketing Mavericks. Hannah, uh, who runs a lot of our marketing, it was her idea, it's brilliant. Um, and I mean, as you guys can imagine, our favorite person in the world is ourselves. <laughs> that's just the way we're wired, whether that's good, bad, or whatnot, it's the truth. And the you know our favorite word in the dictionary is always our own name. And so what we've done is we go to our clients and we go to our point of contact and we ask them if they're okay if we interview them. And so, and we let them know that we're gonna have a professional cameraman or videographer there. And so we hire a photographer uh, to go to our clients' offices uh, and takes photos of them. And so they get to do a full photo shoot in front of the entire office, makes them look great, they feel good about it. The agency they hired uh, is making them the star of their own show, which I think is huge. Uh, and then we turn that into a full kind of case study with photos of the client at their office, uh, and we call it our Marketing Maverick series. Uh, it's been great for us for sales enablement, and it's also been great you know, for activation, uh, and it's awesome. So anybody who isn't doing that and you're, you want to you know, grow, obviously I think interviewing your customers is a great way to understand the strengths and weaknesses of your deliverable, uh, especially in the agency space if you want to close more business. Why did they choose you? Why didn't they? What were some of their hesitations? That kind of information uh, is huge because it can help you with your highest leverage activity, which is your close rate as an agency, right? That's the easiest way to lower your cost per acquisition. Simultaneously, you know, it helps with marketing. So yeah, that's what we do. We love to hire photographers and do photo shoots with our clients and they, they absolutely love it. We've never gotten any bad feedback. What's one of the epiphanies you got out of that process when you were listening to your customers? Why the hell didn't I do this more? I mean, I still don't do it enough. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest epiphany is maybe we're not so stinking smart. I think some of us, uh, you know, myself included, we we live in this agency and we like I'm at this 10, 12 hours a day for six straight years. Right. All day, every day. And you start to think, you know, frankly, more than you do. And I think there's a lot of if you can humble yourself, um, which, you know, for me, I, I try to make a daily experience of, of just trying to slow myself down and stay humble for whatever I'm going after. And you actually get more feedback and you talk less, you listen more. Uh, you can learn a lot that you just maybe have missed. 
uh, you know, and as I'm getting a little wiser and older, I'm learning that if you just listen to your customers, you don't have to try to be so smart. You could be the biggest idiot in the world who just listens to their customers and you're probably smarter than everybody else. That's well said. Well said. I have looked at those. I don't know if you have, Robert, but I've looked at them on Garrett's website. They're really well done. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, they're pretty affordable. Honestly, we just go get a freelancer off Craigslist or Yelp, have them go by you know, the client, set up its time, do a photo shoot, and the clients absolutely love it. I mean, if you're an in-house marketer, how fun is it to get a professional photographer to come to your office and do a photo shoot with you? And then you get to use all those photos for your own like LinkedIn and headshot. So no, I mean, it's been, it was cool. He is getting better at social. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag. Yeah, like <laughs> Garrett, one of the other things you've got on your website is you've got some free classes on your website too. And those are pretty cool. Yeah, that's our Institute um, product. So kind of one of my vision and goal was as we were getting into SAS more, I thought, what a cool concept to practice what you preach. I know that sounds ironic, but like most agencies I know don't do their own SEO. Uh, I've always wanted to do my own SEO. A lot of agencies, they don't advertise on Google ads, but then they sell Google ads to everybody else. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do is always crack the code for our services, but then also learn from running search marketing for our own products. Uh, that product's institute. And yeah, essentially what it does is it teaches – um, you, a student, in-house marketer, business owner, small business owner, how to do what we do. And at the end of the day, we have pretty high minimums. And so for an agency who loves to market itself as much as we do, we can't really work with that many of the people we market to. And so Institute gave us a great way to try to monetize all of our marketing by having a low cost, self-onboarded low friction type product. Uh, and yeah, we give away free lessons. They're awesome. You should definitely check it out if you're listening and get us feedback. Obviously we're trying to improve the product every day. Uh, and then for our clients, we give it to them free. Uh, we found that, you know, educated clients are more likely to execute your recommendations, which is kind of the whole point. So, you know, we love to try to help our clients learn more about what we do. Yeah. And one of those classes is about one of Robert and my favorite topics, conversion rate optimization. Kind of the same concept you talked about on the agency side, fastest way to lower your cost per acquisition is to improve your sales conversion rate. For a lot of businesses, fastest way to lower acquisition costs is to improve the website conversion rate. Yeah. What are some of the top three things you look at when you're thinking about conversion rate optimization for some of your clients in the SaaS space? What are they doing wrong in a lot of cases? Oh my gosh, I love that question. So, well, you know, humbly, I'm still learning so much and what's so cool is i get to kind of run them like support the marketing we have a guy named brian Bowie, world-class SaaS marketer uh, he worked with some of our largest SaaS companies uh, as their account strategist and now he runs our product so i get to work with brian on growing institute and one of the things that kind of blew my mind around cro was i have always been very concerned about acquisition right lowering my cost per acquisition but what Brian and I found, and I'll give you a live example of this, is it's actually more important for us to improve our activation. Okay, so let me let me kind of walk you through this. So what we were doing before on Institute is you would land on the Institute homepage, 
which is in a subfolder. You know, the SEO in me has submenus, and I love it. We got 40 pieces of content going live this month. We're doing 40 pieces a month, so it's kind of crazy to do that much content at scale. But we're having a blast with it. But what we were seeing is we were acquiring new users with just an email field, and then boom, they'd be right in our free lessons. But then our trial to purchase rate was like around 2%, okay? So what we did is we asked for one defining piece of information. And this has been like a critical kind of game changer for me in my approach to marketing. And now I'm trying to do it on the services side and it's something we're rolling out on Q2. So what we did is instead of just asking single field, which is traditionally like the best low friction, like call to action for a conversion rate, essentially just add your email. You can enrich it on the back end with Zoom Info, Clearbit, Lead IQ, any of those tools you can enrich it with. But what we found is we didn't have enough information to create essentially email sequences to activate them, to get them from signing up for a trial to becoming a purchaser. So now what we do is we send them to a form and we ask them about their role. So we define our personas, like we're all taught how to do and once we learn marketing. And then like we all do in marketing, we forgot about them, right? And so what we did is said, okay, cool. We're just gonna get one critical piece of information. And so for our Institute product, it's their persona. Are you an owner? Are you an in-house marketer? Are you a student? Are you an agency marketer? And from that information, we're gonna create custom emails. And so by doing that, we slightly, just slightly lowered our, like our conversion rate, but we went to 9% on our activation rate. And so by doing that, we drastically lowered our CPA and then improved our CAC to LTV ratio and started to make it profitable to acquire customers. So the ironic part here is sometimes it's better to lower your conversion rate and increase your activation rate and you're gonna do better. So you asked for more data for the purpose of being able to upsell them with more relevant content downstream. Well, yeah, because what was happening is, okay, so you fill out my format, you're an agency marketer, and I generically send you emails to an already noisy inbox and you unsubscribe or just open and then mark red immediately because I'm not speaking to you, okay? But now you're a student. You get your free trial and you tell me you're a student then what I'm able to do from that information is say, in my first subject line, hallelujah, finally the class you never got in college. Now I can actually engage you and sell you for who you are and what your pain is and what your needs are instead of me generically throwing darts at it and then not being able to activate someone. Wow, that's beautiful. Nicely done. Yeah, on the services side, now we're asking for essentially what services someone's interested in before they sign up for our newsletter or, uh, you know, we're rolling out a, a different actually approach to like high value. So I call it high value lead gen because the problem with lead gen and all these things in acquisition is we're very selfish marketers, myself included. What I mean by that is in SaaS, we push someone to request a demo, but we give them no context on the demo. They don't know if they're going to learn about pricing and they get nothing in return, and then we ask them for their most personal information, their email and their phone number. So what I like to think about, and then where we see the most success with every one of our clients is we ask them, how can we change the psychological dynamic? What can you give your customers that's of equal or greater value in real time to what they're giving you? So for example, we love to do demo videos instead of request a demo. So instead of the call to action being request a demo, we do watch demo video. 
and then by essentially gating the demo video and that they can watch in real time, we still send the lead to sales development or account executive. It still goes through the same flow, but now we gave them something of value and our conversion rates skyrocket. I'm trying to do the same thing in the agency game and figure out what can I give you in real time that's more valuable than what you're giving me. And the second you know, we're able to unpack that, that's when you're really able to unlock essentially you know, 10% plus conversion rates at bottom of funnel. And that's when you get really, you know, scalable cost per acquisitions. So let's unpack that one technique there because it's not only relevant to demos, but it's relevant to, you know, lead gen in general is when a consumer is faced with a form, when they can see beyond the form, what's going to happen next, they are more likely to fill out the form. Do you agree with that? Oh, exponentially. So there's a couple different like ways to go about this that we test, uh, all of which work compared to not doing them. I'm actually having my team put together a content piece for Q2 that evaluates these, but some of them are like this, pop-ups. So do you send someone to a landing page or do you have essentially a pop-up on the button? This is something you need to, you know, you can run an experiment on. And then in the pop-up, what we usually do is have a two-column field where it's not two columns of the field, but it's like a two-column page. And so on the left, it's all the value it's like the biggest thing that marketers miss is they don't sell the value of the demo. They just say request a demo and then they ask for information. Right. So what we found is a couple things people really want to know. They want to know how much damn time this is going to take because nobody likes demos. Like there is no human in the world that's like, oh, my God, is it Wednesday? Is it demo day? I've got three demos lined up. Can't wait to talk to junior level salespeople and maybe get a quote at the end. Like it, it's not what we like to do. It's just not. The sales process stinks. And so what you want to do is you want to tell them, hey, how much time is this demo going to take? Hey, if I do hop on this demo, am I going to learn about price? If I do hop on this demo, what are some of the key takeaways I'm going to be able to give to my manager so we can make a purchasing decision? We want to sell the crap out of this demo so that they're actually excited for the demo or they're at least aware of what they're getting into. So step one is really, yes, yeah, selling the demo and having a lot of supporting information testimonials like a lot of people do testimonials about what it's like to work for you what we'll test is testimonials from the demo so we'll essentially ask their best account executive to get testimonials from people who were on the demo before and then we're using quotes about how great the demo was to sell the demo not how great the company is and so everything we're trying to do is to sell this demo and by doing that we're able to really create leverage yeah i think we've as a bunch of businesses have just forgotten how valuable people's time really is and you have to respect the value of their time oh yeah and there's there's other pieces too right like we'll do multi-step forms right so we'll leverage like the psychology of sunk cost so essentially what happens is you is you ask the thing that they're most likely to give you first which is their name and the thing that they're least likely to give you last phone number and what you're able to do then is you're essentially able to create a commitment out of them by starting with their least valuable information their name and then by the time they get to that second or third step, they're so committed that giving you that last piece of information seems like they'd have to have admitted that they wasted their time to not do it. And that also helps with conversion rates. So there's a lot of so different how, you know, tips here. So how are you doing those multi-stage forms for the folks listening? Are you doing that from a UX perspective? The user does not see the full content of the form until they fill out one field and then another field re reveals itself? Or are you giving them the option of, hey, they submit the form and then it comes back and says, hey, that's great. 
with some additional information, we can even serve you more, more quickly. Would you like to fill out this additional optional information? What technique do you use? Yeah, so we're using more of uh, transparency with the first part. So we'll do your custom proposal starts here. It's like on our own website, right? We have your custom proposal starts here, and then it's just one field, which is your website URL. So I don't even ask for any personal information. I ask for information that's not theirs, which is their website, right? And then from that step, it says get started. So we're still using really transparent language. And then we have it below that prefer to call for anyone who's like, I don't, I just want to hop on a call, right? And so they add their URL and then it says, what's your greatest need? So it's still all about not personal information. And then what type of company are you? So it's staying like really, really like corporate. And then by the time, and this is last step, right? So it says, the last step and then they get to that final last step and at that point now we ask for their personal information after we have them fully committed from a corporate information standpoint and then it says finish and so we're you know we're using a lot of transparency we have blocks above it that have like one two and three so you can see what step you're at and that's kind of our way of you know increasing conversion rates while creating essentially a flow that works really well for us and is that the result of some testing you've done over the years of different iterations of that yeah. So, I mean, on this one, I mean, I've been probably running with this for almost two years now, so I don't necessarily remember all the data beforehand, but yeah, we've tested like multi-step forms. If you don't have like certain pieces in place, like language that says last step or like visual cues that show how many steps are involved can kind of backfire on you. So we've kind of learned like from working with our clients and everything else, like how to guide someone there. So it's kind of like bowling with, you know, the rails up. Uh, and, and you do see some success for sure. Other times though, it, you know, if you have like a certain enrichment product on the back end, maybe you just have to ask for their email and you can enrich the whole thing. For us, you know, we, we've seen more success on the multi-step than the full. Some people I have seen like a normal form work better because the way auto-completes are working with Chrome and other tools. So it's always, you just have to test, but it, you know, each industry is definitely different. Very good. Well, it's time for believe it or leave it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, believe it or leave it, one of the more popular parts of Search Talk Live. Garrett, we're going to give you three statements we found on the internet, and we're going to ask you to tell our audience whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. Here's number one. You should be exploring COVID-related queries for your content production right now. Leave it, baby. Leave it. Let somebody else do that. All right. Question number two, the new temporarily closed function in Google My Business will harm your organic rankings. Leave it. I, but I would leave it. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't <laughs> I don't think anyone really knows. I wouldn't stress on that. If you're temporarily closed due to a virus, you're temporarily closed. Keep creating content, keep building links, keep your set website fast, be well organized in your content infrastructure build clusters, internally link. I mean, stick to the basics and don't worry about your GMB profile right now. All right, this third one, Garrett, you and I, we talked about this a little bit before the show, but I got to put this in because, man, the forums are blowing up on this topic. And here's number three. Only small businesses who have consistently followed Google's recommendations will get the upcoming Google Ads credit. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Wait. Google doesn't have time for us. Okay, they don't care. Like, they're not background checking your best practices. Yeah, I, I think you're blessed in that sense. But no, I, I would leave that one. Don't worry so much about the evil, you know, Sith Lord Google. 
let them do their thing. You do yours. You'll be just fine. Seth Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's that's good advice. Uh, I happened to be on a conference call with some of the Google folks yesterday, and you know they're still, as of yesterday, I think I was on at like two o'clock Eastern time, still evolving. What does this mean? And and the details of who gets it uh, still haven't been fully fleshed out. But one of the things that conversation did yield to me is that uh, you won't apply for it. It looks like it's just going to show up in your account if you meet the criteria. It isn't going to be something you apply for. Who doesn't love free money, especially when they've been taking it for years? I mean, if they want to give us some back, I think that's awesome. I had a client that uh, thought he was getting $3.5 million put in his Google account. I'm like, no, you're getting a share of that. <laughs> a very small share. Yeah, they're not that nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, so it's on to the Search Talk Live tattoo. All right, Garrett, we need your best, most succinct piece of advice that you can give based on our show content today. Remember, it's got to be tattooable because Robert gets every one of these as a tattoo, and our ink budget's not not really big, so you got to be careful. What's your best, most succinct piece of advice you can give to people listening to this show? Brand? Greater than sign website. Um, that's my tattoo. Your brand is greater than your website. So brand greater carrot website. I thought I was going to say be humble. <laughs> yeah, because you gave a lot of good stuff. Now tell us about that, Garrett. Tell us what, what do you mean about that? Okay, so one of my favorite things in the world to talk about is SEO, but from its from its ethos, from its core purpose, right? In 1997, the search engine came to be, and immediately businesses wanted to know, how can I be discoverable for the products and services I sell? And all of our answers, marketers and consultants, was you need a website. And so GoDaddy and HostGator and Bluehost and the rest of them spun up and Wix, and we all created websites. And then over the years, it was, well, you need content. Well, no, you need at least 350 words. No, you need 1,200 words. No, you need 2,000 words. Make it a listicle. Put numbers in it. You need links. You know, Go get scholarship links. Do .edu. Do .gov. And we had all this advice. And the truth is, is we've gotten to the point where the best advice is to say, how can you make your brand discoverable and then make your website one piece of it? And so what I mean by that is when you take – bottom of funnel queries, and I call this the Yelp and the Amazon effect. I love to talk about it. And, and you search at the bottom of the funnel, consumer behaviors change and Google's aware of it. In other words, when we search best breakfast burrito, Google doesn't give us a bunch of restaurants who have great breakfast burritos. They give us aggregator sites, listicles, maybe from the OC register, Yelp pages, Google My Business, uh, other local publications. But it's very rarely a restaurant. And that doesn't mean that no restaurants have tried to write listicles about the best breakfast burritos. But Google has said, hey, look, if consumers, right, have been so programmed to look up reviews before they buy a broom on Amazon or a burrito on Yelp, they probably are going to look at reviews before they buy a quarter million dollar software. And so they kind of applied this ethos to everything, right? And that's where G2 and Clutch and Captera and software advice and Every industry has these review sites. And what's happened is if you take your most valuable keywords, let's say a categorical one like um, live chat software, 
And then you layer that with purchase intent, top, best, or reviews. So top live chat software, best live chat software, live chat software reviews. And I've never even searched it before, but I'll tell you that search engine results page is going to have a ton of review sites and only a couple of websites. And the truth is, is historically us SEOs, we said, well, if you want to get better, more organic traffic, you, know, you want to grow leads from organic, you need to create more content. But the truth is, is every time you create another piece of content from your initial strategy, you theoretically swim upstream and have diminishing marginal returns. In other words, you get further and further away from purchase intent. And the area where there is purchase intent, your website can't even rank. And so if you change your idea of how you're going to drive leads from the internet, from I need to rank my website to I need to rank my brand, you become incredibly powerful. You get to say, okay, do I show up on that review site? Okay, do I have a Google ad? Oh, am I on GMB? Am I on Yelp? Oh, could I write a piece of content that could rank for this query? What would that look like? And so if we get our heads out of our keyword research tools and into the search engine results page, and we change our lens from how can I rank my website to how can I rank my brand, now, at that very moment, you become the best search marketer in the industry. Uh, and that's what I'm really passionate about. So a much bigger picture, I think we've gotten focused on too narrow of an objective. Well, yeah, and, and the impact of accomplishing that objective has actually changed. It, it is very difficult to rank for bottom of funnel purchase-related queries with your website in 2020. It's just, it's just not something that's as feasible as it used to. And I, it's actually what I'm talking about at Ungagged this year. If we ever have that conference, um, <laughs> I'll be talking about you know how how marketers and owners can take advantage of this. But yeah, the truth is is a lot of your organic value is going to like when, if you want to make it beyond just conversions, but actual opportunities, deals and revenue comes from when you're, you show up when there's purchase intent. And, and a lot of the times now when there's purchase intent, Google is using third party aggregators instead of individual websites to rank. Um, and, and if you're not taking advantage of that, you're kind of missing the whole point uh, of doing SEO in the first place. Good stuff. Save the very best for last on this show, Robert. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, Gareth, why don't you uh, tell us where, if someone wants to get a hold of you, ask you a question, uh, where they can reach you. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. I've been trying to be a lot more active. So check me out there. It's at G Mergut. So first initial, last name. Good luck spelling it. Um, and <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can find me on uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm pretty active on both. Uh, and love to, yeah, answer any questions you have, support where I can. Uh, tons of people have you know blessed me and helped me throughout my whole career. So Hopefully I can help you and give back a little bit. So love to chat. Yeah. And um, for the listeners, spell your last name. Yeah. M-E-H-R-G-U-T-H. Uh, that's G Mergut at uh, directiveconsulting.com if you want to shoot me an email. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, I appreciate you being on the show. Lots of great information. We look forward to a, hopefully another one. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks, and Garrett. also go visit directiveconsulting.com. They're a sponsor of the show. We want to thank you guys so much for sponsoring the show. Uh, without you guys, it wouldn't be possible. Oh, well, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh -huh. Be safe. Be healthy. All right, guys. That's another great show. We will see you next episode and a couple of weeks. Matt. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week and be safe. Be healthy.
Search Talk Live is brought to you by Pixel Cut Labs, a 2019 U.S. Search award-winning SEO agency. Welcome to page one. If you have a question about today's show or would like to be a sponsor, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's Robert at searchtalklive.com. 